0: See, probably other good ones, but that's my endorsement. Anyway, uh, just this week I've been in contact with some people in Lampung. Uh, if you don't know what Lampung is, that's where we used to live in Indonesia. That's where the tsunami hit last week, and they are working hard. A lot of stuff going on. Um, just really cool stories. I heard the testimony of John, one of the church planters there with uh, with the organization that I began and how he ran from the wave and apparently he said the wave was above the palm trees and just uh as he and his family gosh can you imagine he and his family running up the hill away from the wave as it's just taken out buildings and people around them and how people saved them and they prayed during it and found a bridge underwater so they could actually walk across this canal and it was pretty cool It was just really good stuff so um, there 's a lot of work going on there we 're uh, still talking to them to see what 's what 's going on so uh, let me pray before we get started. Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray your holy spirit would fill this room and fill our minds, our hearts with your presence we We envision we imagine you just sort of taking the roof off of this building uh, and just pouring, like living water, just pouring your spirit over your people. That as, we, as it gets deeper, it gets ankle deep, it gets knee deep, it gets waist deep, and it gets in over our heads, we can swim and swim all around, just enjoying your presence together as, as your people. And we pray that that water, that living water, that truth that Spirit, your Holy Spirit, would push away anything this morning that would seek to bring confusion or keep the message that you want us to hear this morning away from your people's ears. We pray that you would bless us right now. Just demolish and push back any stronghold of Satan in any person or any place in this, this property, Father God. We just pray that you would push that all back, that we would be in a safe place this morning to hear what you want to say to us, that all the anxieties, all the worries, all the, th- the competing thoughts that would keep us from hearing your voice would be silenced right now. Amen. Amen, Lord Jesus. Amen. Woo. Everybody have a good Christmas? I did. What, like, a, what a home run, our first Christmas Eve service. That was pretty cool. I was excited. I, I got to tell you, I'm a little bah humbug about that kind of stuff. I'm not a holiday guy. And everybody's like, let's have a Christmas Eve service. I'm like, no, nah, I don't want a Christmas Eve service. Let's have a Christmas Eve service. I'm like, okay, all right, we'll have a Christmas Eve service. And I was really, I, I humbly confessed that I was wrong. You won't hear that very often. <laughs> no. And by the way, Bill Massey, again, painting the bathrooms this week. What a, geez. I mean, all the women have come to me and said, we have new locks on the bathroom doors. Amen. <laughs> you can thank Bill for all these little improvements. Uh, it's just really good. So um, we're getting all professional, I feel like. so. But, <laughs> but this is our last sermon in this series, Humble King." And we've focused ourselves on Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and uh, a passage we're not going to read in full again this morning because of the length, but I think we've learned something of humility during the past four or five weeks, right? Uh, That through the model of Christ, through the model of Jesus, as we see it in Philippians chapter 2, we are able to be or become people who can, in humility, value others uh, more than ourselves, maybe in this year to come, right? A year for humility, uh, a year looking to the interest of others, since living in humility is to live in Christ, right? I'm currently working through the year's sermon schedule. I'm typically uh, way ahead of the game on that. But I, I felt like I just wanted to be quiet and let God speak. I didn't want to like force something, you know, a square peg into a round hole. I wanted God to just to speak to me. And so I'm a little bit behind the game. But it, I'm not nervous about that at all because I think God is speaking. This week really some things came together. We're definitely going to do some things on prayer leading up to our uh, prayer conference from February, February 23rd, which Rachel's putting together and she's probably going to say a few things. Pastor Craig Snow, her dad, uh, who does the Restoring of the Foundation's prayer ministry, Over people and also Brute Slatshaw of the Barn Vineyard. They're all going to come and share with us, and that should be a good time. That's going to be in February, February 23rd. I'm also looking to do something on Psalm 23, which, uh, you know, just for a time, we're going to, you know, park ourselves in Psalm 23, and I think that'll be a really sweet look at our relationship with Jesus as our shepherd, which is really another. Lesson in humility, if we think about it, given how it starts, the Lord is my shepherd, right? and when you say that, to acknowledge Christ as your shepherd is to make a statement of humility isn 't it, since we are speaking from the perspective of the sheep who is totally and absolutely reliant on their shepherd and i 'm also looking at to focus for a time on certain passages, passages like first uh, Peter three fifteen and sixteen. You can read it later, John 3.16, John 10.10, 10, and an old favorite of six eight, Romans 15.13, which uh, Lindley really felt like the Lord spoke to us years ago, that that was a good verse for our church, and I, I think it's pretty much stuck in our hearts. We bring it up quite a bit. Uh, but it all speaks about the hope of Christ and how that should lead us deeply into peace and joy, overflowing the life of Jesus to others within our, our spheres of influence through our community groups and the community partners that we have and, and bleeding out into Syria and Lebanon as we have a partnership there and maybe even, you know, in some work in Indonesia right now. I don't know what's going to happen with that. What We can be praying about that. I feel like the Lord would have us. As a church explore how we express that hope or the hope that we have in Jesus to to other people around us. That we'd be well prepared for that. And humility has a lot to do with that conversation, doesn't it? We might look at questions such as such as these. How does the humility of Christ bleed out of us so that we can share his hope with people around us, holding on to the standards of holiness, but not bringing shame and condemnation on people. That's a, that's a good dance to learn, right? Does anyone, does everyone around me, here's another question. Does everyone around me personally that I personally know, do, 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 do they know and realize that I'm a born again believer in Jesus? E, Right. Would they see the hope of Christ in me and feel comfortable to come to me to find answers for life? Have we avoided that conversation with those that are around us for years? How can we express the hope we have in Christ with others even after years of not doing so? And do all the non-believers in my life see me as a Christian just as my church friends see me as a Christian? Or am I living a dual life? Am I a practicing Christian among everyone around me? Do they see me reliant on Jesus, that he's changed my life? And do they view me as a prayerful person? Have I ever used that question, can I pray for you right now for somebody that's not a believer and actually done it, prayed for them? And I don't mean to make you feel bad if you feel this way, but some of us are not even comfortable praying with each other as believers. We need to get over these hurdles, right? How do I grow in confidence? Confidence not in myself, but confidence in faith, which enables me to minister the gospel to others without thought to my reputation or my (laughs) well-being. Right? How can I begin to do these things well? Those are the questions I'm going to be thinking about as I prepare sermons this this coming year. And one thing that you can do as preparation for uh, that is to grab one of these sheets, the testimony sheets. They're on that table right over there along with the, the Lectio Divina journals that you can take. Um, and begin to think through your your own story with Jesus and begin to develop that and and, and write it out and practice it and think about it, and how are you going to share that with other people? And today's conversation of living in humility is to live in Christ is important as we move forward together as a church this year. Humility firstly has to do uh, with what Christ has done in me or what Christ has done for me. Right. It's the acknowledgement of uh, Ephesians chapter uh, two, verses four through 10. It says "But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. These are things that are done for me or to me. I didn't do them myself. Right made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You have a great, great, wonderful position with, with Christ. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. So he's doing something through your life. He's showing people, right? Expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. I didn't do anything to get it. I didn't do anything to earn it, right? It's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. They're all pride, you know, taken out. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So in recognizing what he's done for me, pride is eradicated with taking away any feeling that I'm better than anybody else. Right? It enables me to express hope and freedom to others without judgment. Although my words might bring conviction on their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit because God convicts, the Holy Spirit convicts by truth, right? And verse 10 there says that we have work to do in the kingdom of God. We do, all of us do, not just the pastor, everybody does, right? You may be the only Bible that somebody reads this year. You ever think about that? (laughs) Most people in America these days have never read the scriptures, Never even darken the doors of a church. They've never heard this message. How are they going to respond to it if they don't hear it? Right? And that work in us has to be done under the spiritual formation of the spirit, of the word of God, of emulating the humility of Jesus, expressing his hope and his joy and his peace and his love as we become more and more like him. So humility is first of all acknowledging what God has done in me or for me, but it also acknowledges the work of other people in my life, right? Someone once said, humility is becoming a lost art, but it's not difficult to practice. It means that you realize that others have been involved in your success. And that's true, right? When others in our lives feel respected and loved and honored, and we acknowledge how they've contributed to our lives, that we are honest about that. They see the humility of Christ in us, and they are more apt to listen more intently to our testimony of Jesus in our lives. So we earn the right to speak in many cases. Although we have to remember that witness can be made with someone that we just met as well, that we don't know from Adam, right? Since humanity shares the need, the same need of a savior. Everybody needs Christ in this world. Everybody. And sometimes it's actually easier to share with those who don't know you, given that there's not this history to work through or get over and all these little roadblocks and all that stuff. You remember John Samara's dad in Syria driving through checkpoints and sharing with the guards and handing them Bibles and people in tears and, you know, that kind of thing. No, they didn't know him, but they needed that message. It's because it's not about you. It's, it's about the message that you bear, right? And this all brings us to philippians 2 3 and 4 this is that was a big lead-in it says do, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others ah that's like hard to do right you know every year people around the world you know, sort of gather in uh, cities, in the center of cities, and Times Square, and things like that to celebrate the passing of one season, and the birth of a new season, right? A new year, you know, in New York City, we watch the ball drop, and we see these, it's a national tradition, we, uh, it's fun, right? I would never want to be there. I always wonder, where do you go to the bathroom when you're stuck in a crowd of like 5,000 people? Uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. There, no, why you would do that. I'd love to watch it on TV, but why you would want to go there is beyond me, but but if you do, more power to you. But um, anyway, but we, you know, we see these televised parties all over the world and all this stuff. It's fun. But for us as followers of Jesus, those who have acknowledged what he's done in our hearts and our lives, who have come under the lordship of his leading, could this be the year when Christ's humility is formed in us to such a good degree that we don't even recognize ourselves by the year's end, that we've changed so much? Is it possible to be different? Is it possible to see the life of Christ well up inside of us, so much so, we, you know, willingly submitting ourselves to his calling, you know, as he uses our unique gifting and our unique personalities to bring the, ho- go- the gospel hope to others, right? The hospital goop. I was about to say that. I was about to say it. could we possibly allow the living word under the guiding hand of the Holy Spirit to develop a humility in us that is so attractive to others becoming a blessing to them with our words and our life that they may at the very least learn to respect our convictions or maybe even want Jesus for themselves in business there's an old adage that says to say yes to one thing is to say no to another, right? To say no to something else. Abby Schwamberger just said no to a job in London, England, to say yes to a job in Columbus, Ohio. I wish she had said no to both and stayed right here. We are going to miss them. They'll be here on the 13th, so we'll, we'll see them one last time. You know, every day we get dressed, right? We get dressed, we get up. When we put on one thing, but before we do so, we have to take off another. Maybe your jammies, even if it's your birthday suit. You've got to you take off one thing to put on another thing, right? To say yes to a new thing in life, we have to say no to an old thing. We have to make changes. But before we can put on Christ, we have to take off a few things that get in the way of Christ's humility being our new fashion statement for the year, right? Right? If we look at Galatians three twenty six through 28, we realize the lines of difference in people have been erased in Jesus, that all these differences are a construct of society and not of Christianity. It says, in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor, not, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. As we clothe ourselves with Jesus, we realize everybody's human. Everybody's human. Maybe there are cultural or preferential station uh, station of life differences or what have you. But deep down, deep at the core of every soul, the longing and the needs of humanity are all the same. Humanity's condition is the same anywhere and everywhere you go. Lost people in need of reconciliation with their God, right? And we, if you were sitting in this room and you proclaim Christ as your king and your savior and your Lord, we have found that in Jesus. The greatest gift. The only way to be reconciled to God. The only way to be reconciled with God. As he said, I am the way, the truth. The life, no one comes to the Father except through me, John fourteen six, And that is not arrogance. That is just a spiritual axiom. It is just a truth. Jason communicates Jason because of who Jason is. God communicates God who, who, because who God is. God, Jesus came to earth and God incarnate. He, he communicated himself. He is God. No other one out there. Only the Bible, only the scriptures, the Christian scriptures speak of God's character and plan of salvation. It is found in no one else but Jesus. Jesus said you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. They are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Is Jesus exclusive? Yes, yes, he is. He is exclusive. But is the invitation open at this point in history for anyone to choose him, to follow him? Yes. To be reconciled to God once more through Christ? Yes. That door is wide open for anybody to come through. It's not exclusive in invitation. It is only exclusive in the sense that we must recognize his love, his forgiveness, his sacrifice, and come under his lordship to belong to him, to be reconciled once again to God the Father. Jesus is how the created is reuni- reunited with its creator. Coming under his lordship means we have to take off those things that don't jive you know, with, with Jesus' attire in life. Right? They don't, they're not, in the Indonesian, we say chochok. Isn't that a great word? Tira chochok. It doesn't fit. It doesn't match. It doesn't go together. Right? Yeah, korang chochok. Not, it's not that suitable. Right? You'll remember that, right? Chochok. Um, but in the conversation of humility, one of those things, is, according to Philippians, is to take off selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. Taking off selfish, selfish ambition is where Philippians 2 3 starts, right? If we've set our sights on, on getting our own way, if, if we've subtly used others to, to elevate our name or our reputation, then selfish ambition is at work. It's possible, it's very possible that all of our good works that we do out there in the world are secretly driven by selfish pride and ambition. <laughs> That's a hard pill to swallow. We can look at Galatians 5, 19 through 26 to see a more comprehensive, although not exhaustive, list of attitudes and actions which are antithetical to spirit life, as well as those that are copacetic with it, right? That, that are cho-choke with it, right? Right? The, it says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, and hatred, and discord, and jealousy, and fits of rage, and selfish ambition, and dissensions, and factions, and envy, and drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. Now, I, I would venture to guess that most of you have not been to an orgy, and I would venture to guess that most of you have not practiced witchcraft in the past week, but you may have been drunk. You may have been envious, Right? These things are real in our lives. And he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What do you do to crucify? You nail it to a cross and you let it die, right? Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's a process that we're learning. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So there it is again, right at the end there, humility in that last verse, the opposite of conceit and envy. But today we just limit ourselves to firstly looking at selfish ambition. It's enough, right? (laughs) The sad truth is that we can be serving others in good works and all that stuff, while inwardly serving our own needs, fixated on our own ultimate gain. If you haven't seen it yet, there's a show on Netflix called The Good Place, which is a term for heaven, right? And it's based on the religion of humanity that we talked about a, a couple weeks ago, which states that those who do enough good in the world get into heaven, and those who don't do enough good in the world go to hell, the bad place, right? Right? So the good place and the bad place, and one of the characters, Tahani. She's a tall, uh, beautiful woman, really sweet natured, dresses in flowery, you know, dresses and stuff. So she's really, but she in, in life she raised billions of dollars for the poor, billions of dollars through these big galas, and you know had all these really wealthy people come, and and she raised all this money. And, but she figures out in season two that she's not actually in the good place. She's actually in the bad place. It's like she's being tortured. They, 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 they made this fabrication of the good place to torture her in the bad. Sorry if you haven't seen it. I just ruined It's not actually the good place. It's actually the bad place. But she's being tortured in what she thinks is the good place, and then she figures it out. And, and she asked, why I should be in the good place? Why am I in the bad place? And they said, because, you know, everything you did was for yourself. <laughs> everything you did was for yourself. Everything you, you did was in reaction to your, sister's getting, your sister getting accolades or your parents' lack of attention towards you and, toward, and they're giving it towards her. So they get that part right. We do do that. They just forget the whole lordship and love and forgiveness and grace of Jesus. That Jesus doesn't even come into the mix, actually, in the show, right? The truth of the matter is that we can be self-absorbed, right? We, we, can't, you know, we can't be self-absorbed and embrace weakness at the same time. It's, impo- it's an impossibility. It doesn't work. It's Tchocho. Chocho. Selfish ambition will always show through in the end. It always does, since it's rooted in pride, and when it is exposed, it undermines any good that we've done. Everybody's like, ah, oh, that's why you were doing it. Right? And we can even be blind to these spiritual incongruencies in our lives. However, the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ step in you know, slowly, and they reveal these incongruencies in us over time. And when we're ready to accept them and we submit, we can submit ourselves to further spiritual transformation. God can change us. So consider an area of your life right now that you can put someone ahead of yourself. (laughs) Helping them succeed even at the cost of your own success or your own comfort. It may be a difficult thing to do to practice at first, right? Since self-preservation kicks in, but self-preservation isn't faith. We spell faith at the vineyard R I S K. It's living in risk, right? You've heard the you've heard the old adage, "Fake it until you make it," right? Maybe we need to change that to "Faith it until you make it." I saw that in a Christian store. What is it called? Uh, Altered states at the mall. I'm not that clever to come up with that. But faith it until you make it, right? Faith it until you make it. And I guarantee that over time, you'll find joy and peace in practicing humility. You'll change. In the beginning, it may seem rote. In the beginning, it may just seem like you're doing it and gritting your teeth. It might go against the grain of your life. But any spiritual transformation you know, some change brings with it a dying to self, doesn't it? Which may be uncomfortable. It may even be painful at first. Our sinful nature doesn't give up that easily. It wants to be in control of us. And there are our spiritual forces out there that don't want to see you become more humble in Christ. That's why I prayed that in the beginning of the sermon. So here's a great habit to get into. By the way, I'm drinking Boylan's. Birch beer that we have, filled in the fridge, background. A little, uh, little plug. If you buy, if you, if you do, if you do, it's the same. We're, we're it's the same company that does Humankind, so we're providing drinking water to people uh, by by selling those things. But um, totally screwed myself up. What the heck, man. <laughs> But here's a great habit to get into. This is a good habit. Start to recognize your own thinking. Start to think about how you think. Start to identify what is truth and and, and what is deception in your thinking. Start to identify feelings and thoughts incongruent with the life of Christ, incongruent with what the scriptures say about you, things you think and feel about yourself and things you think and feel about other people. And then when something is incongruent with the life of Christ, with Jesus, confess it right there on the spot in prayer. Confess it to to Jesus right there. Proclaim it as a lie. And then confess your propensity to believe it. Acknowledge your need of the Holy Spirit's protection against it. And ask that the blood of Christ would wash your heart and your mind clean of it, replacing it with truth. The truth of Christ. It's a good habit to get into. Denounce spiritual powers which might seek to drive you away from Jesus and more deeply into selfish ambition and vain conceit. Because we are in a spiritual battle. We are. Amen, right? We are in a spiritual battle for our hearts and for our minds. There is a victory that lives in uh, walking with Jesus as well. There is a victory with the Spirit of God. And you may not feel great in the beginning of doing these things. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. But your feelings will fall in line over time. They will. They they will incrementally come in line with the spirit and the truth in your life. You will find more and more freedom over time in Christ. It just takes time to make that happen. Faith it until you make it, right? Faith it until you make it. It's the same with working out. They say that, that most people go to the gym when they, when they join a gym. They only end up going like four times a, a month, right? Which means that you're actually paying the gym not to work out. You're paying the gym not to be healthy, right? Isn't that crazy? Many of us walk with Jesus like that. We only show up in our spiritual lives four times a month. Maybe on Sundays. I don't know. Jesus isn't a full lifestyle change for us. He's not. He's something that we at, at worst begrudgingly do or at best we know that we should do but we make every excuse not to. And In the end, the result is spiritual anemia and flabbiness. And that's just a shame, isn't it? We like to say here that everything is spiritual. Everything you do, everything you think, everything that's happening around you is spiritual. So treat it as such. Think about it that way. Practice the humility of Christ with others and see where it takes you. And you will find that you may not get what your selfish desires want, but you will get exactly what you need. Exactly what you need. Sorry, my thing's all messed up. And in doing so, you're putting off Selfish ambition. You're putting it off, replacing it with the humility of Christ, and people will notice. And over time, you will grow in peace, and doors will open for life giving conversations of faith with others around you. Your intimacy and your joy with Jesus will increase over time. It will, I promise you. And this is your spiritual workout. This is the whole spiritual formation talk that we've had in the past year. The second thing that we need to take off is vain conceit. Vain conceit if if selfish if selfish ambition is is be, is about doing good for personal gain, then then vain conceit is about looking good for personal gain, right? It's about looking good. Have you ever said about somebody that they're conceited, ah, they think they're so great, you know? Conceit speaks of sort of this excessive pride in oneself and you know, our one's own accomplishments comedian, Brian Regan. I just watched this this week, Brian Regan. He's a fairly clean comedian. I like him. He does this bit about Buzz Aldridge at a party. You know who Buzz Aldridge was. He was an astronaut, walked on the moon and he says, Buzz Aldridge can one up any man at a party. That if you've got an arrogant guy at a party, like talking big about all of his accomplishments and his Porsche and this and that and all that kind of stuff, you know, all of his belongings and his success that all Buzz Aldridge does is he sits there and eats like shrimp at the table and he just waits for a, a break in the conversation. And then when the guy like stops talking, he says, I walked on the moon. That's all he has to say. It's like mic drop, right? Like, boom, like he's done. Nobody can one-up Buzz Aldridge. It's true. I didn't walk on the moon. You know, I find that there are very, there's a lot of very accomplished people all around me to whom I can compare myself with. There's also a lot of very non-accomplished people around me that I can compare myself with. And my pride either elates my vain conceit or it deflates it and brings me down to self-loathing depending on who I'm comparing myself with. Is that any way to live? Because here's the thing in Jesus, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Right? I am blessed and favored of the Lord. I'm in Christ. Maybe my conversation ender isn't I walked on the moon, but it's I got Jesus. That's my conversation ender. <laughs> it does end conversations sometimes. <laughs> But in Christ, there's no room for vain conceit, is there? There really isn't. The gospel levels the playing field, puts us all on the same level. Galatians 5, Ephesians 2, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All reveal, and plenty of other places in Scripture, all reveal that everybody is equal in the eyes of God. And it is a very, very, very freeing thing to be equal. Be on the le- same level as you. You're no better than me. I'm no better than you. Self comparison with others taken out of the equation as we realize God has each one of us exactly where He wants us and we need only to respond to Him individually. You ever met somebody that can't dress? Right? They wear competing colors or styles and, and we say that doesn't match. In Indonesian, we say, ah, tira cho cho. Tira cho Yeah. I was, <laughs> side note, I was uh, driving home from the village with all these Indonesian friends in the car, and this guy, Harry, was next to me, and there was a woman who was fairly heavy, wearing a uh, spandex. You don't see this in Indonesia. You see it in America all over the place. Everybody wears spandex, right? Or whatever, you tights. What do you call them? I don't know. Yeah, leggings. In, in in Delco, we say leggings, right? We kind of, we, we leggings. Uh, get a hoagie um, anyway, but I digress, but she 's walking across the street very heavy and she's got she 's got leggings on and a short shirt, and we were all so tired and and my friend harry goes, "Ooh, brani scali," oh, <laughs> which translated means boy that 's brave <laughs> I just thought i 'll never forget that moment, very funny time, but and you know tira chocho didn't it didn 't go right right and uh it 's the same it, with this issue of vain conceit, right. The same clothing, the, the clothing we must take off uh, is vital to humility is to, if, if, I, if, if humility is going to mark our lives, we've got to take that off. We've got to take vain conceit off. We can't wear vanity and humility together at the same time. Like two of the same poles on a magnet, uh, on two magnets, humility resists a heart which finds itself to be its own secret admirer. It just doesn't work. It it drives away from it. Proverbs 18.12 says, Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, right? But humility comes before honor. That's a nice verse. It's embarrassing to fall in your pride, to be caught in your pride. It's really embarrassing. However, that embarrassment is avoidable by just practicing humility in Christ. Consider if any conceit has begun to worm its way into your heart. And if so, consider how you might take it off by doing something which might be humbling in your own eyes towards someone else. Humbling ourselves by asking for forgiveness of someone, doing a task that seems to be be beneath us, or confiding in someone about our fears and our failures are all good ways of losing something old to take up the new way of humility. But remember, when apologizing, really apologize. Scratch your butts. Scratch your butts. Since everything in an an apology is negated when you tack on to the end of it, but you. For example, right? You can see it on the screen, I hope. I'm sorry I yelled at you, but you didn't put the dishes away. I'm sorry I yelled at you, but what does that say to that person? It says you're not sorry. Says you just wanted to get another dig in. You just wanted to win the argument. Be humble. Truly apologize. Realize how your words and your attitudes hurt someone else who's also a creation of God. Ask the Spirit to convict your heart in the process and practice humility. Putting on humility after we've taken off Selfish ambition and vain conceit is now much easier when those two things are out of the way. Although it will cost us the same that it cost Jesus in his lifetime. Humility means we put others before ourselves. Considering them better than us as we ha- and, and how we treat them and we tend to treat ourselves pretty well. Humility means dying to self. It means choosing to become small. To make ourselves nothing just as Jesus did. Philippians chapter 2. This is all of, you know, so God can receive glory for the moments of success in our lives. A redefinition of how we operate in relationship with others by way of the life and the teaching of Jesus and the model of Jesus. We, we end up losing our taste for the accolades. We don't need them, right? Recognition from Jesus is all I need. It's all I need and peace and joy begin to flourish and reign in my heart instead of selfish ambition or vain conceit or jealousy and envy and all that so take a few minutes just before the new year sit down with a journal today and write out 10 ways you would like to see Jesus breakthrough in your life in this new year but after you've written them down make each one of them a prayer Make each one of them a prayer. Talk to God about your hopes for the year. As he shines light on each of your requests, make notes that you can return to at the end of the year. Keep that prayer list in front of you all year long and see how he answers it. And I assure you, your heart is Christ's home. He lives in you. It, your heart is Christ's home, and he would love to clean house for you to live in hope and peace and joy and love this year because he cares for you but also because he wants to use you he wants to work through you ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 in the lives of others around you this year to live in christ is to live in humility let me pray for us father we thank you that you are here you're with us that you were pouring out your your abundant life on every single one of us in this room that you are loving us well, that you're pursuing us and you have throughout history and you will continue to do so because it is your character to love us strongly. We are so fickle sometimes. We, we, we don't pay attention. We don't hear it. We have good intention, but we go off doing something else. We just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would like, like, a, like a father with a child, you would grab our cheeks and look right into our eyes and speak your words right into our, our ears. Let us understand how much you love us, what you've done in us and through us and and to us, and, and, and that that would just overflow and pour out to others this year in great humility, and we thank you for that.